ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. Today I'm interviewing Will Shelton, the founder of Willpower Integrated Marketing a global marketing agency that leverages the unique culture of salons and barbershops to build a bridge between today's brands and hard to reach multiracial consumers. Will is also the author of the newly released book, The Silent Agreement, An Illusion of Inclusion in Black Corporate America, How to Fight with Conviction and Avoid Broken Promises. His book is the subject of our interview today. Will, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so glad to be here and to share some of the things that your audience needs to hear. First, um, when you were writing your book, who did you think of as your primary reader? That is, who did you write this book for? I wrote it for the Black and Brown executives that have had to deal with the macro and micro invalidations in corporate America in the illusion of inclusion in corporate America. And I wrote it for their allies so mm -hmm. that they can step in and they can step up. It's a book that's not only timely, but it's timeless. It's not only mm -hmm. relevant, but it's revealing. Uh, your book uses boxing as a metaphor, and it's a through line throughout the chapters in the book. And in the very beginning of your book, you discuss the first metaphor, and that's of the silent agreement. And I found this such a powerful foundation on which to build. And it really, the penny dropped and I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is great. So can you share with listeners the, the Mike Tyson story of the silent agreement? Sure. And this is a story even a lot of boxing aficionados aren't aware of. But in the early 80s, when Mike Tyson, when it was in the early part of his career, um, he used to knock out most of his sparring partners, but some of the times he would get one that he couldn't knock out. Hmm. So what would happen at that point, he would resort to holding and clinching. And his trainer, Teddy Atlas at the time, told him, Mike, you got to stop making a silent agreement because one day you're going to get a guy who's not going to sign the contract. And what happens, Gabriela, is even in corporate America, Black executives usually find out the hard way when they get into corporate America that the other side won't sign the contract. But this is what happens. They don't stop fighting for those top C-suite positions. They start fighting with less intensity and they start throwing, don't hit me punches. Those are the punches you throw when you're fighting not to lose. Ah, so, yeah, right. right. You know, I know this book was, as we discussed earlier, specifically written for, for Black and, and Brown executives, but a lot of the things you talked about resonated with me, and I'm a, a white woman in business, and I think, looking back on it, that I've made silent agreements um, that I wasn't even aware I was making. Because it's silent. It's like it's like the thief in the night. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, and, and, and the corollary is, so if this is happening, and um, people should really assume that it's happening. And so if we were to take a piece of advice is 
heads up, you're probably doing this. Don't be bound by it. Is that a fair thing to take? Yeah, away? don't be don't be bound. Don't be inextricably bound by it because stereotypes are mere shadow images rooted in one's history and in deep mm. in the subconscious. Well, and that's very interesting because one of the insidious things you mentioned is that over time, and you talked about this in terms of the, you're no longer fighting to win, you're fighting not to lose. you make this agreement and you start to experience a psychological shift, this shift from success to survival. And in calling this out, in describing the reality on the ground, what's the most important thing that your readers can take away? now that I've been informed, how do I take this forward? Okay, I think that what allies should do, um, their white counterparts, just corporate America in general, it, you need to look at the asymptomatic brand of racism and bigotry that are there. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that's under the microscope. Also, many African Americans and Blacks feel pressured to create facades of conformity to fit in to mm. the views and values of corporations. So they're not being their authentic selves. And you're not even realizing that that's what's going on. And it's somewhat related to something that you call the Black scorecard, the ways in which Black professionals have to be better than their white peers to get promotions. But then they often find themselves on what you call the Black track. So what is the Black track? The black track is when you get into corporate America and, you know, they offer you certain positions, but it's like they don't give you those top suite positions <clears throat> that they're promised. It's you're fighting against broken promises and the broken culture. So, for instance, they may just say, we're going to put you as head of urban department. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Code <laughs> and, word. Yeah. yeah so exactly. So, so then you end up in this like urban purgatory. For right. Sort of a cul-de-sac where you just never get out of it. Right. It, exactly. And you, you know, you're kind of, so you get stuck there instead of them putting you in the positions that they would put the, your white counterparts in, they'll just move them straight up into whatever department, not the urban department in the top C-suites, but we always get kind of boxed in. You mentioned you get to be an executive, you know, the EVP of diversity and inclusion, which is good on the one hand, because you need to have somebody who gets it, but then it's getting out of that role. Um, and that there are some roles that are less likely to be valued in that particular corporation. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's right. It's it's one of those things where you, you really don't get anywhere until you get real. And corporations that are really committed to diversity, you really have to make DNI a part of their DNA. Right. So DNI is embedded. The CEO is DNI. The the CFO is DNI, that it's everybody takes part in it. Is that right? Yeah, it's not just when you have a, a George Floyd inflection or a social injustice protest going on or or even when you have uh, the consumers doing 150 point inspection on your company um, and then you try to get your DNI together at that point it has to be embedded in, in the DNA before any of this stuff happens. If you're a black or brown executive, can you strategically 
take one of these positions and give yourself sort of a mental time clock. Because one of the other things that people are often told is, well, we can't find anybody qualified. And so you kind of need to say, oh, look, I've had this senior level position. I'm qualified to be in senior leadership. I've been a senior leader. As long as you then know that you need to lobby to get out of it, or is it just like, hey, avoid those roles? You know, if you're presented with the opportunity, a, a black track opportunity, should you take it or not? I think you have to look at what price you may have to pay first. Oh, okay. Or- um, what do you, what would spend? be, a, what would be a price just so I, so if I'm, I, if we want to be really helpful to our listeners to, to help them understand what they should be on the lookout for. Well, first, if you're sacrificing your views and values, don't uh, take, um, okay. if it's something that, you know, that you can tell and you perceive that there is a token position, mm. you know, mm-hmm don't don't take it if you know that this company is being very transparent because one of the things gabriel is that there's a lot of truancy with transparency with corporations what do you mean by that well they're not showing up in truth um you Mm. know there's always been a vacancy for uh, honesty and transparency (laughs) Yes. Um, Fair, fair. You know, and what's interesting is the Gen Z generation is the most diverse generation and they are really expecting brands to perform. So this is a, this is an absolute bottom line issue and it's got to be real. It isn't about, you know, a black square on an Instagram feed. It isn't about one month a year. It's about all the time. Yes. It's, it's a full commitment. It's like, a marriage you don't want you want somebody who's you know they they don't just have your loyalty they have your respect mm-hmm. you, you've got to gain the respect of the black employee the black consumer mm-hmm. um, the, the black american it's about getting their respect first in a full commitment not just a part-time lover or a shack up honey <laughs> <laughs> Who knew we'd go there? Um, <laughs> but the, the, so the business of, if we go back to the black scorecard, the business of being measured by a different set of metrics. Mm-hmm. And it's something that um, absolutely the black community experiences, other minorities experience it to various degrees. And in some ways it's not only rooted in overt bias, but unconscious bias. Humans are hardwired to connect with other humans who share cultural touch points and similarities. This is why venture capital firms aren't only mostly white guys, but they're mostly white guys who went to Stanford and Harvard. I mean, you know, talk about a narrow pool, right? So if you're a black executive and this is the lay of the land and we want to change it, but this is this is the as is current situation, what are the concrete things that you can do to increase your score on this utterly unfair scorecard? Hmm. What you can do to increase your score is uh, first, you have to recognize that good enough is not good enough anymore. You have to recognize when you go into these situations, when you go into these corporations, that you you always, as a black and brown executive, you're you're punching above your weight class, literally. Mm-hmm. It's like you have to do twice as much to get half the rewards. So it's like a featherweight fighting a heavyweight. And, you, but, and so the knowing of that is one thing. Just know it. Know that this is the truth. Know, know that this is the truth, know that this is a reality, but also have the belief and the faith and know that if you go in with that mindset, 
and hold these companies accountable to that. And don't be afraid and have so much fear of rocking the perceived boat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If there is a boat there to begin with, because that's where the silent agreement is. Oh, there isn't even a boat. You're not on the boat. So don't worry about rocking it. Exactly. Because everybody's thinking uh, they're in the same valley and uh, I'm going to rock the boat or this is going to. And that's why this cycle of the agreement and the illusion of inclusion continues because both sides are doing the dance around the perceived boat. So we we just need to nip that in the bud once once before you even arrive. And then you have to know that you're enough. Um, A lot of people, they they think they need something else or they they don't have it or they feel inadequacy. Corporate America, they amplified the inadequacy that you already probably have before you get into the corridors of corporate Mm -hmm. America. Don't let it gaslight you. Don't let it gaslight you believe that you're enough and that you can win with what you have going in. Well, and so in terms of tools that would help you, you're an executive and you're looking at where you should, you know, there's only so many hours in the day you're, you're working your work and you also want to get ahead. Should you focus your energies on mentorships or is it better to network or is it better to you know, add another degree, like what, what gets you the most bang for your buck in terms of time? Do I you think, think you said a couple of things there that I want to hone in on the networking, mm-hmm. the networking is, is crucial because there's networking within corporations, but then you need to develop our own networks outside. Uh, like you can't be afraid to, to go to our other counterparts that even work in other industries and build our own networks to help us to stay strong, not because we're weak, because we want to try to stay strong. So the networking is a very powerful thing, but a lot of times they don't look outside of where they already are to build multiple networks. So that's a great thing. So sort of an oasis uh, somewhere to get some, some reinforcement of some validation, some, some strategies about challenges you might be running into is that networking would help there. Right. Correct. And then when, when we talk about the mentorship, that is so important as well. well. And is, is that who, who are the mentors they should be seeking out? Who should they be seeking out? Well, sometimes you have mentors and sometimes you have tour mentors, you know, <laughs> okay well avoid the tormentors right so we're going to avoid the tormentors if we can but but who how do you identify a person to 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 start you know getting to mentor you who are the targets well kind of going back even to the boxing metaphor is like think trainers like you have trainers in your corner that's your corner man they're there they're not only there to help you have vision and help you with strategies in the fight they're there to protect you from death they're there to throw in the towel for you so you can fight another day yeah they're there with the wisdom with the discernment that you don't even have and that you don't even know what's up the road and what's coming. They can see what you can't see. Uh-huh. Very good. Very good. And how about how necessary is a higher degree beyond an undergraduate degree? Do you think, I mean, given that we're dealing with an unfair scorecard, is getting some sort of master's kind of necessary? 
I don't that... even, I don't really think, I think you just need to master who you are. I think you need okay. to have a degree of talent, a degree of gift. Okay. So if people find that they are getting another degree is going to be financially challenging, don't worry about it because you can do these other things and they can help you. Exactly. Plus it's like one of those things where there's been executives that's gotten multiple degrees and then you, your dreams are still shoplifted from you. I see. So, right. So the opportunity costs don't even, yeah, that's great. That's really good advice. So con conversely, if you're a CEO or a leader and you're an ally and you're reading this book because you really want to listen, um, what are the steps that you should be taking within an organization to dismantle some of these things? How can you get rid of them. What are things that people should avoid doing if they're mm -hmm. an ally or what should they actively be doing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things. Well, first of all, I think that I think they need to understand and be very sensitive to what they have heard, because I think we get highly adjusted to the injustice. Uh, okay. And, and that it creates that unconscious level of i think even being complacent it's the uh -huh. complacency that we get used to we don't see the harassment anymore you know back in the 60s they used to have those sit in at the diners for blacks that wanted to you know they weren't allowed in restaurants right but that we have the same thing going on for the fight for the corporate conference tables mm -hmm. elbowed and jostled and shoved away so I think that number one, they need to be sensitive, need to understand that, you know, that they probably have played into being complacent and they don't even know it yet. So it's one of those things where you have to wake up and say, wait a minute here, even though I don't see it or I don't feel it. I could be participating. I'm, I, I am participating, not I could be, I am. You are participating and you're, and you're like, you're participating through the silent agreement that you made. Ah. Because you're not making a stink because you're not changing it. So be it, active. If you're yeah, if, be, if you're not active, you're complete you're complicit. Yeah. So get up, be proactive. You know, right. don't don't wait. If you see something, call it out. Right. You know, um, even if you perceive it's something that you may say, because then you you tell yourself, um, well, maybe, maybe it didn't happen. Because blacks, we we have to live with the double consciousness. Mm. of of was that a microaggression or did that person just have a bad day or was that a microaggression because i'm black you know what i'm saying right <laughs> right well and i suppose you know how can you go forward without it wounding you you need to protect yourself you need to protect yourself psychologically so that you continue to, to fight that success fight not the survive fight you have a section in your book where you discuss not being taken in by the ringside seat, which if I understand correctly, is that in boxing, other fighters are sometimes gifted with ringside seats, which it's, it's an honor, but they aren't fighting and they can't win the prize money and people don't get pulled from a ringside seat into the ring. So you make a parallel with promotion to middle management and that then it stalls out. So here's my question. What's the action item you want a black reader to take away? I've been promoted to middle management. How do I not get trapped in my ringside seat? It kind of goes back to understanding that the offer may be a, a, a kind of a tokenism offer. I think that 
sometimes you get used to riding the back of the bus and you need to understand that you we're able to drive the bus now mm. and we're able to drive the bus and determine the course of where the bus is going to right. go. You right. Know? right. And, and, it, and it comes down to a mentality that you have to have. That's how champions become champions. There's a chapter in the book called the last chapter called how to become a champion. Mm-hmm. And it's a mindset that at one point, you're you're gonna have to stop throwing don't hit me punches and go toe to toe with right. corporate America. So I think that ringside seat may seem like it's cool at the time, but later on, it's like they they give you this thing called step aside money. This happens in boxing where the champion doesn't want to fight the number one contender because he feels he's a perceived threat to him. Oh, I see. What they do is they offer them step aside money so they can fight the number two or three guy. Oh, I see. And then they can keep their role. Interesting. 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 So early in the book, you discuss two kinds of black executives, those who stay in large, mostly white corporate world and, and chip away at the system. And then those who, who like you start their own businesses or um, look for opportunities to work within black businesses. Now, people are often advised to job change in order to get promoted that a new company sometimes gives opportunity uh, that a present company doesn't. So should black executives should they actively switch to entrepreneurial endeavors or should they search out at a certain point in their career? Should they be searching out opportunities at black businesses? What is the best way forward? How, how important is being entrepreneurial? And, and does, is that a route that you think is, is good and helpful to people? Yeah. Well, there's two tracks to that. There's the track where you have the young um, Gen Z's and the young yeah, they're um, very entrepreneurial. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, with technology uh, changing and everything, a lot of them are kind of almost automatically wanting to be a freelancer. Going right. Their own thing. So, but the, the executive that's a little bit older, maybe, I mean, they could be have 10 years in somewhere. I think you have to determine that because see these, what happens and what's really insidious is that these careers can shave years off your life. Uh, from the exhaustion is, is it worth the price to stay in there when when you're up against the turmoil and the tumultuousness that you have to deal with every day is it worth shaving years off your life and career so a lot of, and I and I interviewed a guy named Jim Glover who told me that he that, and he was in the industry advertising industry back in the 60s and 70s he had two colleagues that literally committed suicide oh gosh behind this. Well, I mean, so, so is it one of these things, like if you're an executive and you have snakes in your stomach, think about taking an entrepreneurial leap. Think about doing that, that that might actually energize you and give you opportunities. Is that a takeaway? Yeah, because you're literally dealing with emotional war criminals that come to maim and kill the spirit of the Mm. black and brown executive. So think about that. <laughs> well, sure. And, and, you know, when you are struggling, I had interviewed a gentleman um, about who was a coach. And one of the things he talked about were the, the chemicals in your brain when you are focusing, when, you're fo- when you find yourself in a negative focus, that mm-hmm. it, it releases these chemicals in your brain, which do shave years off your life. And so if you are then, because of the structural inequities, constantly 
in a state of uh, emotional distress, not because you're a, a distressed, depressing, depressed person, but just because you're with cause feeling this disconnect between what you're performing and what you're getting, that's unhealthy. Totally, because you're always looking over your shoulders for the purveyor of evil. Um, yeah. and, and what I mean, that's a, kind of a crazy way to, to live and to go into work, always looking over your shoulder like that. Right. Well, so call to entrepreneurship, you know, and, and you, you're a very successful entrepreneur who has a, an incredible business, but you've also said that there are some things that even as an entrepreneur, you sometimes run into these structural challenges. Yeah, um, I do. Um, I see it. I work in corporate America, but I'm kind of not of corporate America. Because well, because you control your own. You, you control yeah, within I'm a, your I'm own. I'm a consultant. I'm a, I'm a Black consultant, a Black culturalist. Um, but I work at, within these departments and, and I see it happening. But there's a lot of things I can do from, from my point of view that you know can maybe ease the pain a little bit or I can help them to develop different programs or understand how to connect with not just the African-American employee but almost the African-American consumer because they're involved in this too and that's why right a lot of these corporations now are like kind of stepping into action because they know that the black consumer is looking under the hood and doing a 150 point inspection on them right right well, going back to our boxing metaphor to, to wrap things up, you talk about using an opponent's strength in the current environment to your own advantage, like Ali using the rope-a-dope, using the ropes to absorb his opponent's punches. Do you believe there are ways that Black executives can use the current power structure and social environment to make change happen? And what would be an example of that? Yeah, I think um, one way they can do that is when they're engaging with corporate America and some of the broken promises and not being able to be their authentic selves, they can step into that ring. Mm -hmm. And I can, I think they can step into that ring with, with a different mentality than they ever have before, because, you know, there's a lot of cultural damage that's been done to black and brown executives over time. So when they step into that ring now, they step in with a different conversation than they have before. I think that you, you want to fight smarter than, mm -hmm. than really fighting, fighting harder now, mm -hmm. um, because there's so many things that are under the microscope now that right, so I you can call attention to it and amplify your cause. Yeah, you're yeah, getting at? yeah. Before maybe you would have to duck the punches, absorb the punches, but now there's different ways to fight back. There's different strategies you can use now. You can really come off the ropes. You can, you can, you can answer the bell with a different attitude than you have before. Um, I think that one thing everybody can realize is that you can always begin again. That is really valuable. <laughs> that is really true. Look, I tell people this. It's a book and I wrote it. This is why I wrote it. I wrote it so it could get more out of you than you get out of it. So you go from a reader to a leader. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
Thank you for sharing. Thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate your time. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on again. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open, and of course, all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.